0: In a time when film criticism is as provocative as ever, Feelin' Film ventures to change the discussion from what we hate about a film to what we love about it. We judge more on emotional experience than technical merit, because every movie makes us feel something. Welcome listeners to episode 32 of the Feelin' Film podcast. This week, we'd look to our Facebook group to fill in a gap in our schedule after learning that our original choice of Jeff Nichols loving was not going to be available yet for us to see. Our group voted and chose Nerve, one of this summer's sneaky good films, and so that's what we'll be discussing today. Yes, sir.
1: As disappointed as I am, and uh, my heart personally is broken, because this, being from Arkansas, Jeff Nichols' movie should have come out in my state, (laughs) where I'm at. I did find out, though, and... uh, any listeners that might be listening from my area that there is a screening um, the day this podcast comes out uh, in Little Rock at the Ron Robinson Theater. So if you're listening, get tickets because it's going to be epic because Jeff Nichols himself will be there. So a little, little plug there. And uh, hopefully when uh, I get a chance to see it, I won't be able to tomorrow night, but hopefully when I do get a chance to see it, uh, we'll be able to Get a discussion around that so as disappointed as i am i'm excited to talk about nerve this is going to be a lot of fun and uh, before we get to that i'd like to ask what you've been up to this week aaron
0: well i was just going to say that i I actually am going to be seeing loving on wednesday of this week
1: Um, in seattle
0: so um yeah i guess seattle washington gets it first now you're technically you're getting it first Uh, yeah. So you're getting the, one of the first screenings that is being done. Um, and I won't have Jeff Nichols at mine either, but I am going to get a chance (laughs) to see it. And I'm bummed because I wish that you could see it soon as well. I wish we could both see it with, uh, Jeff, obviously that would be pretty cool, but you know, like you said, we'll get around to, uh, doing a review of it. Once it does come out and everybody has the opportunity to see it, because otherwise it would just be us talking to each each other and no one would be able to listen because uh, they don't have an opportunity (laughs) to watch it yet.
1: Yeah, that would be that would be great on a personal level, but not on a, you know, a podcast level. Right. So So this week
0: I spent uh, some time kind of on purpose or purposely purposefully going through uh, the filmography of a director named Dennis. Villeneuve, and I I probably am butchering his name, so uh, I apologize in advance. I'm not French, uh, so I don't know that I'm pronouncing that correctly. But uh, he is responsible for um, a handful of films recently that have all been pretty highly acclaimed. Uh, Things like Enemy, starring Jake Gyllenhaal, uh, Prisoners, also with Jake Gyllenhaal, and uh, your favorite Hugh Jackman a movie called Incendies, which was mm-hmm. uh, an Oscar-nominated film uh, for foreign language. And then last year's uh, Sicario, which was a drug cartel-related film uh, starring Emily Blunt, uh, Josh Brolin, and Benicio Del Toro, who was incredible. So I have really enjoyed his films, And, um, finding out that he was going to be directing this new science fiction movie this year, it was already pretty high on my list of films to see. I am a sci-fi nut in general. Uh, and so when I found out that he was going to be running Arrival, it just elevated it that much more. Well, as the initial uh, reviews for Arrival started to roll in this past week and it was getting very high praise, I decided that prior to seeing it, I would. Go and check out some of his old films again. And it has been an amazing experience for me. Uh, The one I haven't gotten to yet is Prisoners. I haven't been able to rewatch it. So my my only viewing of it was in the theaters back when it first came out. But I do intend to uh, watch it prior to this week's later episode on Arrival that we're going to do. But it has been awesome. Uh, All of his films are four and a half star to five star movies for me, they're all phenomenal. I love his style. Um, They all have amazing cinematography. He does great things with sound. He just has an incredible eye, and incredible talent. It's just, it's innate in him. And he has easily become into my top three directors uh, currently working. And I would say those three would be Christopher Nolan, Jeff Nichols, and and now Dennis uh, Villeneuve. So, yeah, it, it was awesome watching all of those films again, and I had a great time doing it. So if, if you get a chance to check them out, I highly recommend it. I don't know. Have you seen any of them?
1: I actually haven't, but I remember, I guess, reading one of your posts this week about Sicario, and I guess it was it turned into a second chance pick that you had watched it uh, maybe eight months ago or six months ago, and I think you revisited it and gave it a better review. Is that is that correct? So
0: my initial watching or experience with it was not that positive. I, for some reason, I it didn't grab me. <laughs> it just, I don't know what it was, uh, but I didn't love it the first time I saw it. And this time, yes, it just blew me away. I mean, it went from, mm, that was that was pretty, pretty good film. It's okay. It's above average to masterpiece. And I can't explain to you exactly why that is. Um, I would need to really sit down and think about that and why that change happened. Uh, If we were to ever cover that film and and give it, you know, the thought and the the deep analysis it deserves, but I can just say, I love it. It's one of the most tense movies I've ever seen. I watched it this time while I was on the treadmill or the elliptical, watched half of it on the elliptical and it just kept my heart rate up. I didn't even have to, I mean, it was, it was incredible. It was synergizing so well with the uh, exercise I was doing because it just kept me pumping, man. (laughs) I was, I was in it. Um, And it has some of the most just. Intense, um, heavy scenes you will see in a film. So yeah, it, it's good stuff. It's really good stuff.
1: That's and, great. man. And I,
0: so. I want you to check them out eventually. Um, when you get time, obviously no rush. The, the other We're thing in. I really briefly want to talk about is sort of movie related. Um, I read a book recently called a dog's purpose, and this is becoming a film in January. Mm-hmm. I knew nothing about this. So first of all, I'm a cat guy, not a dog guy. Uh, you happen to have a new puppy. I believe sitting next to you right now. So yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this book, uh, the premise of it is that there is a dog who essentially is being reincarnated over and over and over. And the hook is that, you know, is this dog going to eventually, you know, come back to its favorite owner or it's, it's true owner, um, over the course of time. Like that's the hook of the story. And I was very reluctant, um, my ex-wife and my daughter told me about this film or or coming out and how they were very excited about it. And I just kind of shook my head. Like, that sounds really dumb. Like, (laughs) you know, like, I mean, that just (laughs) sounds like a really dumb idea, but I said, okay, I'll read it. And I listened to it, uh, and it, and I, I blew through it because just engaged me so much. The audiobook was great. Narrator was fantastic. So the whole book is written in the perspective of the dog. Bailey is his name at one point. So I'll call him Bailey. Um, and he just goes through these various reincarnations, which, you know, initially I really balked at, but the, the story that he tells through this, the message that is being sent out, um, it ends up being a very powerful one. And it it really got to me. Uh, emotionally, it, it resonated with me. Um, I loved everything about this animal. I, I, I now want a dog for like the first time in my life. Never wanted a dog mm-hmm. before. Now I'm like all about it. Um, it. It was just every bit of dialogue coming out of this dog's mouth felt like what you would think a dog would say. <laughs> you know, like it made <laughs> sense. It just made sense. He didn't like cats. He always was complaining about the cats or, you know, talking smack to the cats, calling them lazy and worthless. And, and it just, it was, it was so fun. And if you're a pet owner, especially, especially if you're a dog owner, I highly recommend the book. It's an easy read. Um, we are going to have both of our kids reading it. It's one of the books we're going to be pushing for, for kind of Christmas time reading. Um, we think they're both going to love it. And then, like I said, there's a movie coming out in January. Um, if you want to follow it up by checking that out.
1: Cool, man. I, I saw the uh, the trailer for A Dog's Purpose, and Josh Gad is I think Josh Gad is voicing the, the voicing Bailey. Who is Josh Gad? He, Josh Gad's been uh, he he played Olaf in he voiced Olaf in um, in a, Frozen. Uh, Frozen, but he's also had a couple of other like comedic roles that I've seen him. And he was in a, a short lived TV show I think called POTUS or something. It was a comedy about the first family but he's got just really, really fun comedic timing and he's just got a great, uh, just voice like a, a, you know, cartoon type voice. So it, it, it really excited me to, to know that, you know, he was voicing these, these characters and the story itself is just very, very, um, heartwarming and, uh, you know, definitely hashtag feel this film for me. Oh,
0: it's, it is, it is right up our alley and I don't know <laughs> if we're going to have time to cover it. Um, it would be, you know, a mini sewed because we've already got our January schedule filled up, but um, we'll see. We'll see what people want when the time comes around, and if it's one that we both end up seeing in the theater. Um, if not, maybe we'll catch up with it when it comes out on video.
1: Yep, absolutely, man.
0: So what about you? You done anything this week?
1: Yes, actually, um, this week I ordered- What documentary trip- did you watch? <laughs> This is a non-documentary week. No. Me. No.
0: <laughs> Shaka. Our poor listeners, they they've been waiting and a week to for the it. for the
1: documentary yeah. of the week section of, of our of our podcast. Um I will say this as a side note. Uh, there was a doc recommended to me by our our friends over at um the Retro Rewind podcast. Uh, Francisco Ruiz recommended a, a pod or a documentary to me that uh, I'm going to check out probably after after we finish up tonight. Um and it's a it's a video game documentary on the game Snake, I believe. But uh anyway, like the one on the that's TI not I, calculator? I I don't know. That's he just said Check That's this where out. Snake
0: the, came from. That and DOS. Yeah. Yeah,
1: I <laughs> Well I wanna hear about that. So Okay, well you'll probably hear about it next week because he says I should watch it and, you know, if it's good enough I'll recommend it next week and our what we've been up to because I will have been up to that. <laughs> sounds good but uh this week i i decided to get back into the uh, the comic world i decided back in i don't know maybe march of this year to stop with the the monthly comic book reading because it was going to get insanely uh expensive for me since my comics were going from once monthly to twice monthly and i just didn't have a lot of uh extra spending money. So I've been kind of flagging series that I wanted to check out when they came out in trade or, you know, when I could get them as a bundle digitally. And today, actually, um, because Amazon is awesome as they uh, they work with the U.S. Postal Service, I got a new trade that delivered called, uh, it's the first arc in the Spider-Man Deadpool series written by Joe Kelly. And illustrated by Ed McGinnis, uh, and the first uh, trade is called "Isn't It Bromantic."
0: I can only—I'm seeing it right now as you're holding it up to the screen, and uh, um, I can only imagine
1: I'm, I'm what so kind excited. of
0: the, this this entire comic book must be written in back and forth sarcasm.
1: Well, you know, I'm only about ten pages into it, and you're right. But let me let me just let me just say this, listeners, that. If you don't know this by now, Aaron is a huge stickler when it comes to grammar. And um, there is a line by Spider-Man. I'm going to quote it real quick. He says, you brought me to hell, literally and figuratively. And Deadpool follows it up by saying, you spend a lot of time living in the past, but good job in correctly using literally, unlike most people. Bravo,
0: Deadpool, bravo.
1: (laughs) I love the shtick of Deadpool. And I love the the banter between him and Spider-Man. And at the same time, Deadpool on his own, when he's written or portrayed on screen, is a little too much for me personally because he can get a little over the top. But when I saw that these guys were teaming up, I kind of assumed that, hey, this might be a little more toned down Deadpool and at the same time a good, well-written comic because Joe Kelly is a huge huge favorite of mine he wrote um he wrote uh, uh i mean he's written several several comics for both the big two but uh he wrote a a seven or eight issue series called uh i kill giants and i I read that when I was visiting you a couple of years ago in Seattle and so as a writer he's a really he's just one of my favorites so when I saw his name attached to this, I said, oh gosh I cannot wait i cannot wait i cannot wait to read this and so when the trade came out, I said, I'm getting it. And it came in today, and I started reading it, and I have not been disappointed.
0: Well, that's awesome. I, I think yeah. it's great that you're still going to get some trades and and still try to not keep up, but you know, enjoy your comics a little bit here and there in a different way. Because it's tough to keep up these days.
1: Gosh, it's, (laughs) I just, I can't afford it. I mean, that's, that's quite literally, and I just don't have time to read that many books. And so it's nice to cherry pick. And what, as when I do read them, it makes them that much more, um, valuable and and enjoyable to read.
0: It's kind of coincidental too, because I I actually read a, a trade this weekend or this week for the first time in forever as well. And it was called witches, um, by our friends at the fear of God podcast, uh, by way of their recommendation, they were doing an episode on this and it was a horror comic, uh, written by Scott Snyder, who is a, a favorite of both of ours mm-hmm. uh, from his writing on Batman and other things, but particularly his Batman run is just incredible. And so I, I checked it out, not my cup of tea. Honestly, it, it didn't blow me away. It wasn't, wasn't for me. Um, mm-hmm. I'd say, you know, it's pretty good, but not great for me, but I, I highly recommend it. If you are interested in, You know, horror comics, I I think it very well could be one of the better ones. I think that it's just not a medium that I particularly enjoy. Like I like visual horror in movies, but I don't particularly care for it when it's simply written. It doesn't evoke the same emotions in me as as it it does on screen. But they did a great job on their podcast of discussing it and explaining why
1: it was awesome
0: (laughs) and amazing (laughs) for the majority (laughs) of people who have read it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well if you like Scott Snyder, this is a this is um he's he's a great writer and Aaron I'd recommend to you there's a there's a trade called the Wake. I've heard it's of a, it, yeah. I've heard of the Wake. Yeah. Yeah, he wrote it and a guy named Sean Murphy did the art for it and it's an underwater kind of survivor yeah. horror comic and I really enjoyed it.
0: Well I may have to put that on the list. But we're not here to talk about comics, even though we have for a little while now. Uh so I hope you've <laughs> if you've hung with us, thank you. And, uh, I hope you got something that maybe you're interested in checking out in the future, but let's talk about nerve. That's yes, what we sir. came to do. So the way we discovered nerve, um, neither of us saw this in the theater this summer. Both of us just kind of glanced right on over it. Like the majority of Americans, no one really paid it much attention. It was, Uh, An interesting hook, I'll admit. Most people would admit that when they saw the trailers for it. Um, But, you know, it was a teen looking movie that didn't have a lot of substance. And in a summer filled with amazing blockbusters and great animated films, it just never was able to really stick out. So it came out on video recently, and I decided to give it a watch. And I came away super impressed and very surprisingly, uh, enjoying it. And so I told you about it, Patrick, and triggered you to watch it. And I believe you had a similar reaction. Is that correct? I yeah, so, I did. Yeah. So we both, we both really ended up liking it. And because of that, when we got around to this week and had to make a call on what to replace loving with. Um, we decided to put a vote out for the Facebook group, as I mentioned earlier. Um, and we gave them two options. We said we can do nerve or we can do money monster. Uh, money monster is another one that I felt was kind of underrated this year. And the group overwhelmingly chose nerve. So here we are. We both liked it. Um, what, what did you like about it? Like what, I guess I'll go last, but you go first
1: Off, since there's only uh, two of us. That's probably I guess the that how that works.
0: And, uh, <laughs> But uh, yeah, seriously, how? What did you? What did you think of the movie?
1: Well, I I started watching it uh, shortly after we recorded last Sunday. This was, and yeah, I, I try right. to make a, you know, living two hours in the future. But when when we do this, I'm trying to be the responsible adult and get to bed at a decent hour because we record late for for my time. But darn it, why do you recommend movies to me? So I I queued this thing up. And it got to be about twelve fifteen, and I said, I got to go to bed. And I was about halfway through this. And I mourned a little bit because I was like, I want to finish this. I want to finish this. And so I ended up finishing it the next day on my lunch break. And I walked away really enjoying it uh, in the same way you did. It reminded me a lot of my experience with a movie called Hackers that came out, I think, in the late 90s. This, this premise that... It, I mean, it was not. Nece- it wouldn't necessarily be considered, at least on the surface, very "quote" accurate, because I, I don't know of any. Doubt it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know of any online games that have that ability. But it gets on the edge of of getting you to ask those questions, like, "Well, what if this ta- did happen? And do we have the technology to actually make this work?" And you know, a lot of these questions can be answered with a at least a somewhat confident yes, which is kind of scary. And so you mix that with some of the visuals and the the music, all the stuff that we'll get into, and it turned out just to be a really, really great movie experience for me. I wish I'd seen this in the theater. I think I would have really enjoyed some of these, you know, a few specific scenes um, on the big screen. I think that would have enhanced my viewing experience. But as a story, it was solid. And I was not disappointed at all. And I could see why the world kind of glanced over, at least, you know, you and I did and and a lot of other people, because it's it's not a blockbuster. It's a you know, it's based on a young adult novel um, that has actually gotten mixed reviews. I went on Goodreads after I I watched the movie. I did, too. And I was like, whoa, (laughs) people like
0: the movie more than the book, which never happens.
1: Right. Which intrigues me because I'd like to read the book. Um, there in particular, there are a couple of people that like, this didn't happen and this didn't happen and so-and-so is like this and I'm going, okay, well now I kind of want to read the book to see what kind of experience I get from that. But as a premise, the whole thing was very, very cool. And, uh, and I had a good time with it.
0: Yeah, me too. And I think it's interesting. You mentioned how, you know, we missed it in the theaters because there was so many other things going on that are, that are more noteworthy, right? You know, in the theaters in the summer, we're looking at, DC movies and Marvel movies and big blockbusters and, and Disney movies and things that are automatically have name value attached to them. And then here comes this thing. That's just an adaptation of a YA novel with almost no marketing. Um, There were, there were trailers. I saw them and I was like, huh, that sounds intriguing. I bet you they can't possibly make a good movie out of that though. If it's young adult, you know, (laughs) and you know, something happened with this one. I've, I do remember that toward the end of the summer, this movie came back for a second theatrical run. Someone had posted really? about this in our Facebook group, how they were going to see it in the theater because it came back for a new theatrical run, maybe a week or two weeks. And it was only five bucks. And I thought that was amazing. And I was like, wow, that's what an idea, you know, what, what a cool thought to bring your film back and give people another chance to see it. And, and, Openly admit, hey, maybe this wasn't worth your 10 to 13 bucks or your $15, you know, over the summer, but we think it's still worth something. And here you can see it on a big screen for five bucks. Dude, I would have paid 13 now that I've seen it, but I easily would have paid five. I would have Mm -hmm. happily, and that would have been awesome. So I wonder if that's a, a, a thing that might catch fire a little bit. And if it does, I think the movie goers win in a way because uh, more films at more affordable prices that you can see in theater is always a good thing Um, and I I love that this movie believed in itself or that the the production company believed in it enough to send it out there to do that I thought that was a neat little tidbit I liked it for much the same reasons you did Uh, I I really do gravitate toward cautionary tales um, especially ones in the near future, kind of like I've talked about in recent episodes, watching these episodes of black mirror, this TV show, it's very similar. Mm -hmm. It's technology in the near future, uh, that is so close to our future, so close to our present day that it's believable. And I, I bought it. I mean, I bought it almost hook, line, and sinker. What nerve was trying to sell me, uh, by telling me, so, so the hook of nerve, Spoilers are about to come out. So if you haven't seen the movie yet, please uh, come back after you have, because we're going to tell you everything about what happens at the, uh, at the end during this podcast. That being said, the main premise of this film is that there is a game called nerve and I thought it was an ongoing thing, but now watching the movie, you realize it's kind of a one day or one weekend long process. It's, it's very controlled. Um, it's a tight time frame here that this is being played in. It's not like an ongoing thing. And you can sign up to be a watcher for twenty bucks and you can sign up to be a player. And what players do is as the people are watching them, they vote and suggest dares. So character might be dared to moon someone during a cheerleading uh <laughs> event during a football <laughs> game. And if they do, um that's a very simple dare. Uh, in this world. So that could be a $50, a hundred dollar dare, let's say. And the character does this thing. They get a hundred dollars wired to their bank account. Wow. Pretty cool. Right? So as people are watching you, the more and more watchers you get, the more and more the dares get harder or more challenging, difficult, um, dangerous in a lot of ways. And the amount of money goes up. And so that's kind of the hook of our story and where we, we jump in to meet our main characters. Um, and you know, we find out a lot about them. So the, the thing that blew me away the most about this film, Patrick was the soundtrack. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know. I feel like like I'm stealing your thunder, but I really liked it. I really liked it the first time I saw it. And this second viewing that I just had with my, uh, preteen and my teenager when I was taking the notes for the podcast, I really paid attention to every single song and the way it was used. Not necessarily the lyrics of the song. I tend to look at the lyrics of the song, but this time I really just listened to the mood and the tone. And I, I kid you not, every single song is perfectly chosen for the tone of the story at that exact moment in time. And it takes this movie up. A big time level that I don't think it could have reached without that soundtrack. And it's not necessarily music that I would listen to on my own in the car. I mean, there's a lot of techno pop stuff going on. Um, there's a little bit of uh, you know folky type stuff going on too. It's a good mixture of different music types and genres. But it just works so well. And for me, it is outside of Sing Street. It is the film that had the most impactful music of the year for me so far.
1: Yeah, I would, I would wholeheartedly agree with you. My wife and I were entertaining um, a family; we were having just hangout time tonight. And he's a huge, um, he's, he's a musician, and so he and I are always talking soundtracks and scores and how they work for or against a film. And I didn't talk to him about this this particular movie, but it got me thinking about the things that. That you brought up this soundtrack had a lot of vocal stuff going on. It also had, a, I mean, there's a score that goes. I think the only one that I found that's available for purchase is the score. So all the instrumental stuff, which is more of your electronic type things. Yeah, it's that's a bummer. You know, it is a bummer. However, you know, thanks to <laughs> thanks to software like Spotify, um, mm-hmm. other users have put together all the songs that showed up in the movie and have put playlists together. So I've been listening to those as well. And what I found interesting was that there were very few familiar tracks. Roy Orbison was one of the only ones that I recognized. And that was nice to me because each track amplified the scene that it was placed in. And what I can appreciate about... Um, I don't know who's in charge. I mean, obviously, the, the, the composer is more than likely in charge of how his music is used you know, with the director, obviously how his music is used in certain scenes, because as I've seen in some documentaries, the composer is watching the scene play out and he's, you know, he's writing and, and performing his music to kind of go in line with that. But in both that and the lyrical songs that were in there, it felt very purposeful how these songs were thrown in. It reminded me a lot of guardians of the galaxy soundtrack that yeah is is it amplifies the movie and if you didn't grow up listening to that kind of music in whatever generation after watching that movie i imagine that every time you hear those songs now you think of that movie because you think of the scenes in which those songs are are heard in and you mentioned sing street by far my favorite of the year (laughs) i was riding down the highway the other day going to a friend's house listening to sing street and all i could hear was my face was just smiling and all i could think of was the scenes that these (laughs) that these songs were being performed in and i think that's just there's something magical about that how songs and music have this ability to elevate scenes of 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 movies give you those flashbulb moments where you remember moments that you emotionally connect to and and i think that there's a there's a real um value that's missed sometimes when we when we forget about that because you know like like you I didn't really pay attention to the music the first time around because I was interested more in like what was going on in the story which you should be music should do that it should not be distracting no but it's so cool when you watch something a second or third time and you start noticing those little things and how they help your movie experience even more so I I just I, I adored the soundtrack I adored the score and it's Right now, it's on it's on repeat, at, at, at as as much as I can get it. Yeah, I need to check
0: out on Spotify for the the actual sounds, sounds, yeah, so, songs. My goodness gracious, um, <laughs> <laughs> the soundtrack sounds sounds for sound. the songs because <laughs> I really did enjoy it, and and I would like to see if it's something I could listen to, you know, straight through. I mean, it's very well, po- it's very possible that I could. There were quite a few great ones in there I didn't recognize any of them even Roy Orbison so I'm impressed uh, with your listening skills there the other the other main thing there's two two more big big things one would be the story itself and where what the cautionary tale is trying to get to Uh, but the the other main aspect of this film that really surprised me um, in a way that just almost blew me away was the visual aesthetic of this movie I was not prepared for what I was going to see right off the bat. This film starts transporting us and putting us in this almost 3d like place and not, you don't have to see the movie in 3d to see that it just puts you in a, in a place where the the things on the screen are being interacted with and the characters are, are interacting with almost these touch like things I don't know how to describe it, um, to be honest. Do you have a better way to describe it than I am trying to right now?
1: Well, I was reminded a lot of the visuals that were used in the shallows and how impressed we were that we could see conversations happening through various forms of social media like text messaging. And and this is used quite extensively at the very beginning. Um, And again, I think there is purpose behind how things are are done. I, I love the fact that we open up with the the Mac tone <laughs> that people are familiar with, which is ironic considering that Macs aren't necessarily known for gaming. So <laughs> we have we have a we have a Mac tone. So the the computer, uh, our main character uh, V, she logs on, she immediately clicks on Gmail, and then she gets a Facebook notification, and she checks out Facebook, and then I think she gets a Google Hangout or a Skype. from her from her best friend and so she cracks that open and then she says yes she's being she's asked what what are you doing i'm looking at the news so she immediately clicks on the huffington post link Mm. and so we see all these different social media and internet um intercommunication tools that are being utilized to kind of set us up and i think what's happening throughout the movie is that they become more of like game elements so people are tapping their They're tapping their screens and we're getting it from like behind the screen. So we're seeing like someone say, you know, when she says accept or, you know, player versus watcher, we see it from the, from the screens point of view where she taps or somebody swiping something. Exactly. And that's something that I really enjoyed was that as the movie went on, I felt like, and this may be me just kind of recreating this in my head, but I felt like more of the visuals, more of the camera work was more game related, either first person point of view, like from a phone you know, or behind a person's phone or from the screen of a, of a device, as opposed to like the film side of things where you're shooting from a cinematic point of view. And I think what that did for me was that got me immersed in this gaming world. Mm -hmm. As the, as the thing went on, you know, we're following V and she's completely disconnected from that world. That's not her thing. And then by the end of the movie, you know, she's at the center of it and, Surrounded by all these devices and surrounded by all these interconnected people who have no faces, you know they're all covered up and so I think what the visuals do is they create this quote gaming environment. They put all this electronic stuff in in our faces, they put digital stuff on the movie screen, which makes us feel like we're looking at a a computer screen or a phone or something like that and so we're getting we're getting perspectives from the device, we're getting perspectives looking at the device. Looking at the action from behind the device, and and I think that enhances this this world that the the creative team is trying to to uh, to give to us to say this is how immersive this world of Nerve is, and the visuals did did, did a ton to, to help with that.
0: Yeah, I think they did as well, and it's it, for me it was just it was all inclusive um, in the depiction of you, know, you use the words gaming. And I know you're just to clarify, you're referring to the game of nerve. Yes. Not necessarily video gaming. Yeah. But the way in which the game of nerve is played um, in this social media connected way. Um, And and the whole thing is just, it's, it's chock full of references. And I think, I mean, it was written that way on purpose. It's a young adult novel. It's meant to connect to a generation that. Mm -hmm is obsessed with these things. That's why it's a cautionary tale for people that are obsessed with these things. And we see it constantly in this film. We see our culture depicted that way. We see people that always have their phones out, even the people that don't necessarily seem to be playing the game. You'll see, you know, crazy events happening like people speeding by on a motorcycle with a sticker on their helmet. You'll see just people on the street just filming it. Right. Mm -hmm. And we see these things today. People will post on Facebook, these videos and it'll say, Oh my gosh, look at this incredible beating that happened on the street. You know Mm -hmm. what? The first thing I always wonder to myself is who's the guy standing here with the phone
1: watching this happen.
0: Right. I do not understand that, but that's the culture we live in. Everything is about filming it or getting it on camera. And I went through this myself Not necessarily recently, but I'd say a year, maybe two years ago, I had a time where I really stepped back and took a break from the way I was using social media at the time. Um, I was so worried about capturing every moment that I was with my kids or that I was out doing something fun that I really lost track and lost sight of being in that moment and enjoying the time that was there. And so, or the time I was having there. And, you know, in doing that, I shifted where my satisfaction came from. And in all honesty, from the actual event of spending time with my kids or, you know, hanging out and going to an event somewhere, it, it changed to the, the, satisfaction of people liking that picture or supposedly sharing in that event with me through social media. And I realized how off that was. (laughs) And that's the culture that we live in these days. I mean, you know, people will do this game at, at dinner or lunch sometimes where they, they all put their cell phones in the middle of the table. And then the first person that grabs their phone has to pay. And I think it's brilliant because you go to a restaurant, you look around and look around and look around at, look around at families and look around at people that are on dates. It's scary how much they're paying attention to a cell phone um, or an iPad or device versus each other. And I think it's a huge reason that we have seen some of the breakdown in personal relationships and communication in our world today, because we're just becoming Non-connected, and we do all of our communicating online. We do most of it in a manner where it's safe, it's hidden. This movie shows us that toward the end of it, that it brings that point up of all. Look at what you are willing to do or say when you think that your identity is protected, when you're hiding behind this online facade, versus what you would do in person, in front of someone face to face, and so. I I think the movie does a fantastic job of getting the tone of our culture correct and painting it in a light that shows us, Hey, maybe we need to reevaluate the way that we live. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. I I would say that there's always since the social media age and the, the portable electronic device craze or, you know, technology has come. There's always that, there's been the the conversation about the, the, the personal disconnect that you get ironically from the social connection. And I, I would take that one step further and I would say it's probably more of a misconnection. It's a sense of having this false sense of approval or false sense of identity that's wrapped up in how many likes you get or what your status update is viewed as or these things that can become very addicting and what I think this movie does well is it I think it amplifies the things that are a trend or things that can become and have become issues with not just teens although that's for the primary market and I think you and I talked about this offline that that was one of the things that I had to kind of process through was that this was definitely not something that I connected with completely because this felt very teenage s because yeah it's a teenage film mm-hmm. it didn't feel like an adult you know exploration of this issue but i don't but it is an adult issue as well i mean my wife and i have tried to make it a point when we go out that we leave our cell phones in the car when we go to dinner and we try to make sure that conversation happens and that if there's awkward silence we <laughs> try to fill it in with more conversation and and um you know even like when i'm with my son at night when when we're playing i make sure that my my cell is in a different place or if we're doing something on an electronic device we're doing it together and just just all these different personal checks that i know that various people do um but i think this film really amplifies and asks the questions like you know where is our identity tied is one of the visuals that i i thought was interesting that That really pointed this out was when someone completed a dare, you see the number of viewers, um, watchers increase because the number of watchers obviously gets you closer to being in the finals. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of the currency is the number of watchers you have, the highest number gets you in the finals. But at the same time, when you complete a dare, you see all these little hearts pop up above the watcher list. So, you know, it's sort of signifying that all these guys are, you know, basically liking what you did. And to see that, I, I'm, I'm trying to just put myself in the position of of V or Ian or um, any of these other players, and I'm thinking, what, what kind of, you know, emotional high you get from that? So you just completed a dare. You've mm-hmm. just finished, like, laying down on a track and let a train go over you, which is one of the dares, and then you get this... Immediate like feedback that I can imagine just from a you know chemistry standpoint, all of the endorphins and the adrenaline rush that you get from the dare, and then you get that immediate gratification. What that does to a person, it's almost you know an addiction because you feel like I need more and I need more. And so it makes sense that the dares increase in terms of their severity and the currency that is required to get you into the final is more watchers and more watchers and more watchers and What's what's V's friend's name? The other player, Sydney. I her name, Sydney. Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of how her character is set up. She's always kind of looking. How many watchers do I have? How many watchers do I have? And even when V starts playing, there's that one scene where she's looking at the watcher list, and of course we're seeing it from behind, and she goes, "Well, how many does V have? Oh, this. Okay, okay. So she's still far behind me. I mean, even that uh, shows just a sense of, you know social competition and where, how Sydney has this value just in, in this game and feeling like there's, there's worth there when there really isn't. And she comes to find out that.
0: Right. And that's, and that's what I was trying to say too, is that, I mean, it's, that is the life we live. And like you were alluding to, you know, you aren't as connected to that. You have a young child right now who's a toddler. Um, and I see it both well, and I would say as a, even as an adult, you are less social media connected than a lot of people our age, um, or younger than us today. Um, you, you do a great job of segmenting that part of your life so that it doesn't take over. It's actually something we ha- we should all strive to do, <laughs> but you know, I have been addicted to it in the past and I've always been plugged in or one of the most plugged in, in my group of friends, and now having kids that use YouTube all the time and use Facebook. That's where I saw this going as it's that social approval that you seek as a teen. And that's what this is depicting. I mean, it's those likes by those watchers on those dares. It is a rush and it's the same. It's a similar, it's not in the movie. It's portrayed in a much different way. Obviously the the high would be higher, but it is a similar rush to post something on Facebook or post a picture of yourself and get a hundred likes and loves and have people telling you how beautiful you are and how mm-hmm. amazing you are. You can't do that in real life. You don't have a hundred people to just walk up to you in a crowd in a circle and start praising you, but you can get mm-hmm. that online. And so teens gravitate toward that in a big way. And it becomes something that they truly do rely on in order to get to the finals, essentially Uh, mentally speaking, you know, they're trying to level up. They're trying to, you know, become to reach this certain social status. And it's, it's a very, um, slick and clever way that this story is written to get at that by making it into a thriller. And then at the same time, (laughs) I got to mention this. It is a, this is a thriller rom-com. And I have, have you ever, I racked my brain. I could not think of another thriller slash romantic comedy, but that is the best way I could describe this movie. It's such a unique blend of genres because I expect with my YA to get very cheesy, very overdone and very mostly unrealistic romance. And yet in this film, I felt that it was completely genuine everything about it felt natural to me of how kind of this meeting would go uh, between uh, Ian and V played by Dave Franco and Emma Roberts, who did an amazing job. Both of them, the two leads were phenomenal. I think they played it perfectly. At least they did for me. Um, And so we get this, this pretty pure depiction of a first date. I mean, they're not like, I mean, yes, it's the thriller, so it's go, 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 and intense, and there's things happening, but with the way that media is mostly these days, we would have seen these people jumping in bed after, you know, saying hello and having their first milkshake together, (laughs) and we don't see that kind of action in this. Uh, I believe Mm -hmm. they might kiss twice, once during the film, and then once at the very, very final scene of the film, which is a very, very sweet scene. They're just sitting on the steps... Uh, outside of the carousel that they they went to earlier in the film, looking out over the water as the sun comes up, and there's just a, a brief gentle kiss there, and it's it felt so sweet to me, and it felt it felt like the way that I would expect a true, really really good first date to go, mm-hmm.
1: and I like well,
0: that.
1: Yeah, I, and and I think they actually kissed three times. Oh, I, so I missed one. the first one. time is, but. I'm glad you brought that up because it got me thinking about this love story and how on the surface it would look like, well, that was just completely thrown in. I mean, yeah, whatever, you know, good, you know, boy meets girl, (laughs) boy, uh, gets kissed by girl, boy takes girl to city, girl (laughs) rides on motorcycle with blind boy in front, you know, anyway, but there are three, the, the three, the three moments you have are her initial dare and then just after the moment, the scene where they have to go 60 miles an hour blindfolded mm-hmm. and then that final scene. And I, I I'm not That's sure right. about that. Fi- but in any case, in any case, those three moments, those three kisses signified three different things. You had the dare, you know, which is more of the, um, <laughs> it's, uh, it, it, it's the, you know, it's, there's no emotion attached to it at all. And then you have the, the end of that motorcycle sequence, which is more of an it, – it's an adrenaline-like – when I watch that, I go, you know, you can make the argument, why are these guys kissing? You know, why why are they so into each other? And if anybody has experienced trauma with somebody else, like an an event that has a high stress level, like a traumatic event, like a car wreck or or something that is done, like, with someone else – There is a huge emotional connection between those people. So, uh, you know, if there was a, if you know, we're involved in a plane crash or something like that, the people on that plane will always be connected because of that experience. And sometimes those emotional connections bleed into more passionate and, you know, those kind of physical, emotional, intimate relationships. And I think that that moment really sort of, you know, translated when that kiss. But at the very end, that last moment. It was more genuine. It wasn't because they had just gone through something traumatic. It wasn't because she was being dared. It was because they both genuinely cared about each other. And I love those. I love those three moments where the same thing happens, but it happens for three different reasons. And they all felt genuine, but they all felt genuine because of the circumstances surrounding them. And throughout the course of the film, the progression of their relationship became more genuine. And so that moment at the very end, was completely uh, believable to me. And like you, I I thought both the leads were great. (laughs) Every time I see Dave Franco, I just, I see his brother just because they look just, they have the same mannerisms and (laughs) just, he doesn't look as, as just kind of when well, I say strung out, just as like, kind of like, Oh, you know, right. as James, but they're both phenomenal actors, um, both he and her. And then of course him and him, James, but it was great to see Dave Franco in this for sure.
0: Yeah. It took me a while to place him. I, I kept thinking to myself, gosh, I've seen this guy. I've seen this guy. Where is this guy from? Where's this guy from? And finally I actually had to look it up. I, I failed. Um, but <laughs> he was, uh, one of the leads in the, now you see me series, which I really mm-hmm. enjoy those films quite a bit. And so, I got to play the game with my kids when I watched it with them. And I was like, Hey, do you remember where he's from? Do you remember where he's from? And, and then they (laughs) actually did. So kudos to them for having better memories than their old dad. (laughs) So one thing that I, I really thought was interesting too, is just from, I've used the words cautionary tale several times. It was so scary to me seeing the initial scenes when V starts up the game because she clicks on the the player and she and then she gets the warning you know and i love snitches get stitches so one of my favorite little phrases and is the way that they used it in this one with the you know i think it was a cat like doing the throat slash it was awesome <laughs> um but they uh you know she i think she puts her thumbprint down right mm-hmm. so it must be an iphone because i don't think android has that yet Maybe they do. They do. <laughs> did, they they, do. Did, did, they, did they finally uh, do a thumbprint thing too? Yeah. But um, she puts her thumbprint down, and it immediately starts visually showing us all of these things from her internet world pulling into a profile that it creates for her, and that scared the the bejesus out of me, man. Because I had I imme- what I what I mis- immediately started thinking was, what if this is me? Like, what is getting pulled? out of my internet world into this profile and it pulls her favorite books from a goodreads type site and it pay you know it pulls all this data about her and i was like that's that could happen <laughs> like that actually could happen um and it, you know it goes one step further and obviously it it's able to grab her bank account information which honestly i, I don't know that it, this could be done on such a massive level, but I truly believe that could happen. Something similar to that. If you were to, you know, give a, give a thumbprint, uh, to a random unknown person who has amazing hacker skills, because that's the kind of world that we live in. We're reaching this, this point where we want everything to be in one place. You know, a lot, a lot of people these days don't even carry a wallet. They just carry their phone, whether it has Apple pay or something on it. And you can just walk around with it. And your whole life is right there in this one electronic device. It's like many of the sci-fi movies we've seen. So it terrified me to see that happen. And I immediately paused the movie watching it the second time. And I had a little quick talk with my kids and I said, I want you to pay attention to the scene we just saw. Um, and this is why you have to be careful about what you put on the internet, you know, personal information addresses. And my daughter said, yeah, see dad, this is why I work at the Krusty (laughs) crab. (laughs) And I was like, yes, and it's exactly why you work at the Krusty Krab and don't say where you really go to school. Um, But honestly, you know, I'm not going to preach and tell people how to uh, manage their own online lives and that of their kids. But I thought that that was very powerful in just a quick way to give us pause and something to think about, which is what I think the film does so well all the way throughout it is it gives us plenty of those moments where we can pause and say, huh, how would I handle that? And, hmm, maybe I should see if this is applicable to my own life, or maybe I should reevaluate some things, mm-hmm. um, especially coming down to the ending, which is just an absolute, I, I mean, I was not expecting it, and I, I know people who have not loved the ending, so I'm curious where you stand on the ending. Um, how did Did you like it? Did you hate it?
1: I, I liked it. I mean, it. I was expecting a twist of some kind because I didn't expect our main character to, to die. Although that would have been, I, this is going to sound sadistic. That would have been cool <laughs> because it would have definitely elevated this, um, you know, this idea that they were trying to, to kind of get across was that, uh, you know, it's not just one person that, that kills this girl. It's, everybody watching and being an accessory to murder uh, was very powerful. So to know that she wasn't dead uh, was kind of eh. But I will say that the message of the film didn't get diluted as a result of that. And because you mentioned that this, there, was a, there was a solid love story with it, um, I don't know that you wanted to get that tragic with, with this, uh, with this movie. So for me, it was, it was good. I, I don't know that I, I cared too much for, again, I, I completely respected her speech <laughs> and, you know, her just pleading with them to say, is this what you really want? I mean, it's, it's, it's almost like a, almost a, a weird attempt at being Russell Crowe in Gladiator. Are you not entertained? It was you know, very much where, like that. Where that was, it was almost uh, not really shot for shot, but that same kind of sequence where there was just a rotating camera. And that's kind of what I thought about. And I'm going, and eh, not really having the dramatic effect that I had with, with Gladiator. But again, it didn't dilute the message by any means. And, you know, frankly, I was glad that she lived, you know, because I wanted them to live happily ever after on or off the interwebs. Frankly, you were or Franco, you were? Frankly and Franco, you know, it could be both. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, for me, it was an absolutely chilling moment. Uh, both times I watched it, it was very impactful. Um, I bought into it fully. Uh, I let myself be immersed in this world, and I felt like it was totally just exactly how it should end, frankly. From the, the, from start to finish of the entire final sequence, I had no problems with, with that Um, the way in which she gives them that, you know, that warning in a way, and then we see them voting the yes or no. Um, and then ultimately the moment where the, it is revealed and everybody starts seeing on their phone, their username, you know, change to do their real name. And it says, you are an accessory for murder. And we see, People at bars, we see people of all walks of life, all races, all genders, all ages. We see parents, you know, we see young people. My favorite, or the most, like I guess, a chilling one for me, there's a guy that's in his kitchen and he looks at his phone. We don't see his phone. And then he just puts it down on the counter upside down and starts walking away. And mm-hmm. it's like, it's that, oh crap moment where people are now realizing, yeah. I was hiding behind this facade thinking that I was, you know, completely unculpable, but in reality I am responsible for this. And it's that realization of what you have participated in, in this hive mind action. Um, And they, you know, they're thinking that they have killed her. Mm -hmm. So I I loved it. I thought it was great. I like the end, how our villain in this film is Ty don't die, which has a great screen name, by the way. and is is pretty witty considering his uh history of Seattle and what took place there in the game. Right. And so I love that we we expect him to be this awful person. But once we learn that he's doing what Ian is doing, he's just trying to survive and get his identity and his life back. He's fighting right. for his own self. Um I like the ending where he comes up to Ian and he just said or uh he, he comes yeah, he comes up to Ian and he says we cool. And Ian says, "Yeah, we're free, and I love that that ending yeah. piece right there. What I didn't like is the hacking i thought I thought that was a little bit that's where the movie kind of got a little off for me, and where <laughs> it, it lost a little bit of its impact because right. you had this teenager who happened to know this underground fastest internet in New York site and could get in there and bring this whole anonymous game down and that that was a little too much for me to believe Mm -hmm. but you know what you're gonna get that in most thrillers whether they're young adult or not
1: well yeah i mean and that's that's where the reminder of the movie hackers came from because it became very implausible in certain moments but at that point the thing that i liked most about this movie was the the storytelling device of using realistic to get me into the more not sci-fi but the more unrealistic suspend your disbelief Mission Impossible is one of these that just It starts you off with a suspension of disbelief And I love that storytelling device I love this blend though Where you're walking that fine line Of okay could this really happen Okay the, the hacking maybe not so much But this And there's a reason why our discussion Tonight is what it is Because it had really great Elements and I think it accomplished What it was set out to do To be an entertaining and thought provoking film and uh, and I'm glad it did because it definitely brings out some some good good issues and good discussion to have.
0: Yeah. So you mentioned that that was one of your favorites. What do you have a connecting point for this film? Is there anything that really stood out to you above I, and beyond I, anything else?
1: I do. There were two moments. I'm gonna. My runner-up was the the scene with Ian on the crane looking down, and his whole that whole moment of him. You know, we're seeing it from kind of like a a GoPro standpoint. I I wish I were in the theater because the vertigo in me would probably just go wacky. Yeah, I'm not
0: a fan of heights either. And that that was not
1: (laughs) not cool at all. But but I love that moment where he where he's counting. And when he gets to one, he just gives the bird to his camera. Yep. (laughs) And uh, but but the, the moment for me, and this goes back to what you pointed out about the love story, was the scene in the tattoo parlor and at the beginning i think there was a message on her her screen that says do you trust him yep and the next thing you see is them walking into the tattoo parlor and it's it seems very child you know very very juvenile like oh no he's gonna give her a tattoo it's gonna say like you know you know bend over or something like that you know or just some weird like you know tweety bird tattoo and we see uh, he's having fun with it. We think he's being kind of mischievous, and and so she starts getting the tattoo, and she starts getting hurt, and so he starts playing that Wu Tang Clan song because he he remembers earlier that, you know, she was a fan of uh of of the Wu Tang Clan, and and then it's revealed that the tattoo that he picked out for her was a lighthouse, going back to that initial moment where she was telling him that it was her favorite book and why. And how a lighthouse is what you end up, you know, it has to. It's going to mean something different for every person that that reads the book. The lighthouse means something different for every person reading it. And for me, you know, I think at this point, I believed when I I believed Ian when he basically kind of showed how much he cared about her, even though we see him uh, doing some things to manipulate her, like leading her to the party to fight with to fight with Sid but I think at that moment I realized that he genuinely had feelings for her that he got to see that she was battling her own demons that he could relate to we find out later what his issues were and it was the fact that it was set up with her being asked the question do you trust him and then it immediately is followed up with that scene on the bike where he has to trust her and I think that maybe if you coupled those two together now we get a genuine like closeness and beyond attraction beyond adrenaline connectivity it's a genuine beginning of we're in this together and no matter what I I have to you know I think for for me that moment really brought about a sense of um of real uh relationship genuineness and love that those two had for each other and particularly him for her And so that, that, that I think was, was my connecting point. That's a good one. I think it's a, it's, it's important to
0: note that, you know, this is a thriller and the connecting point is a romantic moment. So, uh, it really does speak to how well this blends those elements together, um, without being overly cheesy. And I really Mm -hmm. like that scene too. And that for that reason, um, I thought that throughout the film, that They they show us a genuine sense of these two people really enjoying and liking each other for more than just the game, mm-hmm. um, the scene where they're running out of the the store in their underwear. I mean, it's brilliant. Oh, yeah. And I, I mean, I actually I actually really like the fact that they don't steal the clothes, too, from a storytelling yeah. device. You know, this is a, again it goes back to that somewhat pure storytelling compared to a lot of the things we we get these days and they they don't steal the clothes and and that they make that decision together he doesn't try to convince her to steal the clothes you know and they they do it together and and i and i love that you chose that because you're right that is kind of the culmination where it feels like they really have kind of crossed that line of truly caring about each other even though eventually he does make a poor choice uh by trying because he's trying to win the game and we learn why later so uh, for me the, the first, I will say my favorite moment in the film, my favorite line of dialogue, it's too brief of a, of a scene really to consider a connecting point. But when she first meets Ian and she's first going through this struggle of whether or not to continue on this journey, you know, he asks her to come with him and he's standing there on his motorcycle and she says, the second I feel uncomfortable, I'm out. And he just looks at her and he nods and he says, that's fair. And I love that. I don't, I don't know why, but like, that is, that was such a powerful moment for me that he acknowledges it. And it's when she kind of narratively, she, she changes because she is, she's made the step to, you know, kiss the stranger and, and try the game a little bit. But that's when she really embarks on the decision to, Try to give herself an uh, to really embrace changing her personality uh, more than just a, a one off moment, and so I really like that. But the most impactful scene for me is actually uh, it, it's twofold, one is kind of like a precursor to the other, it's the cat fight,
1: <laughs> and uh, not the know, literal cat fight, there are no cats in this, game, no, right? but there is a fantastic
0: uh, one of the things that pops up on the screen during the cat fight, which is another thing I really love about this film is the comments that pop up on the screen as the Mm -hmm. dares are happening, that the watchers are leaving. I had to point that out to my kids too, because some of it is just disgusting. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like skinny AF and you know, they're making fun of, of each other and it's just, Oh, it's, it's, it's gross, but realistic. Um, but in this, one of the emojis is a cat and then a punch and then a cat <laughs> it's a cat fight. And I thought that <laughs> was really cute. Um, but anyway, the, this moment for me is important because I feel like every set of close friends and, you know, we can even attest to this because we've been best friends since high school. You, you don't, you don't always love each other and like each other or you you may always love each other, but you don't always like each other just like family. And a lot of times when you do have such a strong relationship with someone, you don't vent your frustrations with that person. So in this scene, what we see is V has now vented. And of course it's been broadcast unknowingly. And she follows that up by both of them just telling each other how they really feel. And I think that it's good because in a way that they're getting some stuff out that needed to be out there. And I think that acknowledging that they sometimes have those feelings about each other is so important and so healthy for a good friendship because V does think that Sid is insecure. Like it's not her just spouting off and making up words to be hateful. It's a true feeling that she has. And it's something that they need to talk about, and that they can work through and discuss. And obviously, this is not the right place for that. But in this in this this event, they're able to kind of break through that wall, I think. And that's why I say this is twofold because then, you know, this gets followed up by the scene when they come back together, and it's like just like true lifelong friendship. They overcome that fight pretty quickly because yeah. it gets real, right? It gets real, real quick. The moment V is walking on that ladder, Sid is like, "Okay, stop!" Like, the, I don't, I don't care how mad I am at you. Your life is on the line here, and this is not okay. Mm-hmm. And so, I love how it ends because one of the last times we see them together is when they're about to walk. When V, v is walking away from the car, as Sid is leaving with Tommy. And they give each other the little nose tap. Yep. The little nose motion where they touch each other's no- or they touch their nose. And I just, I, I got, I didn't, I didn't get teary in this movie, but that, that moment gave me a choke a little bit because I was like, yeah, that's, that's what I want to see. I wa- I don't want to just see a fight for the sake of, you know, gratuitousness in a film just to give us a, something to, to get all riled up over. I want to see it actually mean something. And it did because it came back and they became closer because of this experience and their true friendship was able to weather that storm because they did care and love about each other so much. And so for me, that had to be the most impactful kind of moment of the whole movie.
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. And I'm glad you brought that up because I think um, when we look at those two relationships, seeing them pay off and seeing that, that uh, the what well and, and I didn't notice this until the second time around. That the interesting the twist at the end, how it was set up, where we show we see we see Sid on the payphone, and then we don't see who she's talking to. We we're never told who she's talking to, and we realize later on, oh, she's talking to, she's talking to uh, Ty, oh, to, yeah. Ty, and um, uh, yeah, just. That's good stuff, man. I, I, yeah, I don't have anything to add to that. It's just good, <laughs> so good. Yeah. Well, since we're at the end, I want to
0: mention one last thing: the coolest ending credit scene. This has got to be right up there. Um, my kids and I watched it once through. We rewound it, watched it again because it was just so awesome. They did this fun blend of all these different social media sites and, and internet things, just like they did there at the beginning um, when they were doing the credits, and uh, it, it was a lot of fun. So. If you watch this movie again, I urge you to pay attention to the whole credits because they're just <laughs> they're presented in a very unique visual way that it's exciting to see them. <laughs> and uh, I will
1: take I will take note and do that.
0: Yeah. So, uh, well, that's it for for us, man. So I guess if people want to get in touch with you and talk to you further about this or talk to us further about this, where can they do that?
1: Well, I'm not going to say anything because I felt really, really, you know, it's, this is weighing heavily, so I'm not going to give any social media. No, I'm kidding. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> now, if you, <laughs> you want to find me, you can do so uh, at, at, at your leisure with uh, Shoeless Patch. I'm at Twitter, S-H-O-E-L-E-S-S-P-A-T-C-H. I'm also at Facebook.com slash, slash shoeless patch. Uh, if you want to connect with us as a whole, you can catch us at FeelingFilm.com or on the Twitter machine at FeelinFilm F E E L I N F I L M. And, uh, you can always get to our Facebook group from uh, our Facebook page, facebook.com slash
0: Yes, you can. And if you want to reach me and give me lots of likes and hearts and make me feel valued as a person, because that's what my identity is wrapped up in. You can find me all over the interwebs at Aaron L white, a R O N E L W H I T E. If you want to give me a very simple dare and give me money, we can talk about that <laughs> next week. We are doing another couple of episodes. So uh, we're doing another mini on this coming Thursday. I believe is when it will drop Thursday night, early Friday morning. Uh, and that is going to be on the film. I mentioned earlier in the podcast arrival, the new science fiction uh, movie starring Amy Adams and James Renner. If you've been part of our group already or follow me on Twitter, you will know that I have already seen the film and you can expect a lot of gushing when it comes to this movie. Patrick has yet to see it. So, um, we, w- we are yet to know what his feelings will be, but I can assure you that regardless, it is going to be a very, very good conversation. Um, probably one of the more deep ones that we've been able to have. Uh, it is definitely a feelin type of film. So I urge you, if you get a chance, go see arrival. If you have any interest in science fiction, that makes you think, that makes you ponder and question things, um, whether it be spiritual, spiritually, um, whether it be concepts of time, um, of grief, of love, all of those things. This is not an action movie. This is more of a slow burn, cerebral type of science fiction. And I, I just highly, highly, highly recommend it. Um, not just because I want you to listen to the show, but because I think it's a movie that you could get a lot out of and really enjoy as well. Uh, after that, Saturday, well, not Saturday, the next weekend, sorry, we will be covering Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, the newest uh, Harry Potter franchise movie uh, featuring, gosh, who is in Benedict it? Benedict Cumberbatch? No, <laughs> it's not Benedict Cumberbatch.
1: It's the- <laughs> Sorry, I get him confused with the guy from uh, Theory of Everything. Or whatever. Yeah, it's um, the same. Yeah, that's who it is.
0: <laughs> 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 it's uh, Eddie Redmayne. Uh, yeah. yeah, we do know who we're talking about. But um, yeah, very interested to see that one. I have not seen that trailer yet, so I'm going into that one blind, and I'm excited to be able to talk about that next week. So,
1: two more theater movies coming at you here very shortly. All right, exciting times, man. Looking forward to both, and looking forward to the discussion following those. Me as well. Well, I hope you've enjoyed today's episode,
0: and if you want to find us, uh, look up some other old ones, uh, look for movies you've seen, give those a listen, and then come back and talk to us about them on Facebook. Until next time, stay positive. And keep feeling films.